Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. My name is Kevin Tarka. I am the founder of Creation Talent Agency, and I will be releasing a new podcast every single day for an entire year that is specifically designed to share the inevitable challenges of the sports business world and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today I'm talking with former Quinnipiac teammate of mine, Evan Conti. And for those who don't know Evan, he's a, obviously a former Quinnipiac Bobcat, a former professional player, and most recently the head coach of Division II NYIT men's basketball program before it was discontinued from the craziness of this year, which we'll get into. Without further ado, welcome, Ev. Pleasure, Kev. It's been amazing following your journey so far. When I first saw the idea of you doing a podcast 365 days a year, I was like, if there's one person in this world who could do that, it's you. You're the only one crazy enough to do something like this, but I've been tuned in. I've listened to almost every episode, and it's been great so far. I've learned a lot. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. So before we jump into some of the questions I want to ask you, I just want to put things into perspective for some of the listeners. So obviously, you know, you being a head coach of your own program and, you know, I got my agency and I'm an agent. So if you rewind the clock here for those listening, <laughs> when I was a junior at Quinnipiac, I had the utmost pleasure of hosting my man Ev on his official visit. And I like to tell people I'm the reason <laughs> that he committed, you know, obviously basketball was cool there and he's a good player, but you know, he just wanted to come hang out with me for four years. Well, not for four years, but at least for that <laughs> one year. You ain't lying. After the 48 hours we had, I was like, I could definitely learn a lot and rock out with you for a year and learn everybody at Quinnipiac. You've been, you were great. You were definitely a big reason why I committed, man. A lot of things we can't talk about on this podcast. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. So, so on, on that topic though, let's, uh, let's just talk real briefly about like from high school to college and like your, your recruiting process as a player, because later we're going to talk about it as a coach, but what, what was that recruiting process like? Obviously you had a, you know, a, a crazy situation where you were under recruited and then you, then you were almost, you know, you were committed somewhere and then you switched last minute. And uh, what, what was that like for you as a player? Yeah. The recruiting process was exhausting to say the least, just playing in the CHSA, one of the top leagues in the country, playing against guys that I felt like I was more talented than or, had better numbers than beating them head to head. And for whatever reason, I talked about this on a podcast that I started called the level up your b-ball pod that you're definitely going to be a guest on at some point in the <laughs> future as well. But I definitely did not pass the eye test. I was six, three shooting guard, small forward, not very athletic, not lightning quick. I had a, I was a good shooter, not a great shooter, but I was more of an intangibles guy more than anything else. So it wasn't, I didn't have one thing that really stood out. Like, wow, you were great at this. I just felt like I was really good at everything. I had a all-around game, and it took a little bit of time for some of these coaches at a Division One level to really want to take a chance on me because of the lack of ability that I had in athleticism. And it was kind of a chip that I had on my shoulder, not just throughout high school, but throughout college. Also having to overcome that and just work harder than everyone else, man. For people like me, people like you that aren't the most athletic, athletic, don't pass the eye test, things like that. Instead of worrying about what you can't do, something that I really want to tell prospects that are in high school looking for college right now, guys in college hoping to play overseas, what separates you from everyone else? Your mindset and what you do on the floor that 
makes you special. Everyone is looking for a fit. They're looking for a role. And Quinnipiac recruited me for a specific role that they needed at that time. It wasn't because of me averaging 20-something points a game in high school or whatever I did that was successful, but I was a winner and I fit a role that they needed. When you plug into programs in college and overseas that you're very familiar with, you talked about this in some of your former episodes, what could you do to help the program that is recruiting you win games? Ultimately, that was sort of comes down to. You could be the nicest mm-hmm. person you want. You could be, you could have all these coaches and AAU guys call and speak on your behalf, but you need to convince them that you're going to help them win basketball games. It's the bottom line. Amen to that. Amen to that. So, so then when you were at Quinnipiac, and we don't have to dive into how successful a career you had at Quinnipiac because it, you know, I think you, you obviously took that chip on your shoulder and surprised a lot of people um, on, you know, how, how, how well you played when you were there and the role that you fit there. But when you were there and then transitioning into the pro life, like, did you, did you have that mindset when you were in high school that like, look, I want to go be a college basketball player and then be a pro or, you know, did you kind of surprise yourself? Like, whoa, like I'm, you know, like I know I'm good, but like, I'm really good and I could play at the next level. Like what, what was that mindset like going from, from college to, to the pro level? Now, when I was 16, I had the opportunity to play in the world Maccabee games that we spoke about before. Yeah. So I was the MVP of that event that had some high caliber players in it. It was the best basketball I've ever played in my life playing for coach Brian Shifty at the time. It was probably the most fun I've ever had playing basketball up really probably ever. But after that experience, I was like, that was my goal. That was the drive that I had. I wanted to put myself in a situation to play college basketball at the highest level that I could possibly play and set myself up to eventually have an opportunity to move to Israel, live there full time and have a professional playing career. So fortunately, Quinnipiac gave me that foundation. The coaching staff was great. There were some great mentors, great leaders, great players that I got the opportunity to play alongside of my freshman year learning from you, James Johnson, Dave Johnson, Jamie Jackson, some of those guys. And then later on in that career, me being a mentor for some of the younger players. Also talked before we even got on this podcast that you were my host on my visit. And then three years later, I had the opportunity of hosting your brother. So talking about the trickle down effect that I have with you and your family, it's been special. But Quinnipiac really set me up, not just in terms of basketball, but off the court too. Just the mentorship and the coaching set that we had was phenomenal. And it was just an overall great experience. Everyone that went to Quinnipiac loved it. I don't know one person that says something bad about being there. Definitely. And, and so, you know, obviously I know this, you, you mentioned Israel. So what was, for those that are listening, obviously you had an advantage over some players to go play in Israel. Why was that? Tell us a little bit about that process because there are a lot of guys in college right now or even younger that might be able to take advantage of the same opportunity. Yeah, you, you know this firsthand, but I tell people all the time that if I didn't have an Israeli citizenship, if I wasn't Jewish, if I wasn't able to get that passport, there's no way I'm playing professional basketball in Israel. As good of a player that I was at Quinnipiac, as talented as I am, as hard as I work, some of the Americans that I played alongside were former NBA players, first-team all-league players at Power 5 schools. Like, some of the Americans I played were, were – high-level, high-level players. It's just the competition is just so hard when you're playing at some of the premier leagues or some of the top countries throughout Europe, overseas, Australia, wherever you, wherever you name it. So have an opportunity to have a passport. They have rules. In the first division, you could have only, you could have three Americans on the court, but you could also have – you have to have at least two as really naturalized players on the court. In the second division, you could only have two Americans on the court, which means you need to have three Israeli-born players or players with an Israeli citizenship on the court. 
So for me, I wasn't considered an American. I was considered an Israeli. So when I was getting recruited out of Quinnipiac by agents and by different teams throughout that country, I had that advantage of, all right, like this is a Division One player that had a lot of success at that level that's played in the Maccabee games, that's familiar with the country. Now we can come in here and help our program, help our club while having a citizenship. It was just a home run and everyone that is inspiring to play professionally overseas, whether you can get an Israeli citizenship, there's Spanish citizenship, Italian passport, wherever, go dig into your roots, ask your parents where you might have ancestors from. And to, if you're able to get a passport in another country, it's only going to help your growth, help, help your success that yeah. a lot of other people don't have the opportunity to have. For sure. And, 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 you know, I talk about this a lot where every country is different with the process. So at the bottom line is it can open, it can potentially open doors for you that would never have been opened if you didn't have a dual citizenship. It might not help you in that exact country or right away, but if you have that opportunity, look into it. And so what was that just real briefly, what was that process like? Like, what did you have to do to go from just being an American player to getting that, getting that passport? Yeah, I actually had I had to go through a couple of steps. I had to get a notice from the rabbi. Actually, the rabbi at Quinnipiac wrote off her notice that proved that I was Jewish. I had to prove my brisk. I had to go make an appointment at the embassy in New York City, have an appointment at the consulate, and talk to them about my relationship with Israel and the fact that I'd been there before and that I wanted to move there. So I had to pass a couple of different steps just to get the passport. It's not like you just wake up one day and be like, right. Oh, Kevin, I want I could get a passport. I'm an aspiring pro that wants to play over here. So I'll get the passport. No, it take it took about a month and a half, two months before I even got the passport. But I got luckily I had the right guidance in mind. I had I started that process right after our last college game. Got the passport in May and I was ready to rock out in August when it was time for me to leave. Got it. Great. Um so so in Israel, tell tell me about like what's what was one of the craziest experiences that that you had over there? It could be on the court or, or or off the court, which I imagine you know there's there's a lot of those overseas because it's just so much bigger than the game with with lifestyle and culture and and doing cool things over there that you know regular I guess non-traveling Americans uh, don't see. But what was one of your craziest one or two of one of your craziest experiences as a pro? And it was there was a lot of crazy stories. I could tell you a lot, but the craziest story in a in a good way that hits the most home for sure is that I met my fiance at the airport going to Israel for my second season. At JFK, sitting at the bar before my flight. My fiance was going to England. She's from the UK and I'm not gonna get too much into that, but I met my fiance at the airport. We kept in touch, got her number. A year later she came to visit me and the rest is history. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. And then what, what are some, you know, obviously we had some, some awesome trips when I visited you out there uh, when you were playing, but what are some cool things off the court that you were able to do in Israel? Man, I, three or four weeks that you were there, I think we traveled yeah. the whole country. <laughs> Literally the whole That's country. That's when I just for, finished playing my second year from Migdal Amic, and I was living up in the north. We had, I had an agreement with my team because one of my buddies was actually getting married in England a month later. So it just so happened that you had three weeks free and I had three weeks of free time before going to my wedding. So you stayed with me. We had our own apartment that we shared at that time, had a rental car and we just traveled the whole country. That was, that was awesome. Being able to be a tourist and not have to be at practice every day, not have to be at games. And I was able to introduce you to a lot of people 
in the business in Israel, I was able to introduce to a lot of my friends. I was able to introduce you to a new culture, a new lifestyle. Like I remember you saying that your favorite time was when we went to visit Enon in the desert. And, yep. and you have, you can't even look that place up in the grid. It's that much in the middle of nowhere. I always but. tell, I, I tell people <laughs> that if, if I ever wanted to get away and just like get off the map, I'm like, I mean, at this point, I have a handful of places that I can go that I wouldn't tell anyone, but that is definitely one of them. I think it would take a long time for someone to find me if I, if I went to, if I went to hang with our guy, uh, you know, and again. But uh, yeah, and man, that I mean, was that was an awesome trip, man. It was it was really rewarding for me too for everything that you've done for me in the relationship that we had for you to see that kind of lifestyle to see like a different culture. The most amazing part about playing overseas for me in Israel is that I got the opportunity to live in another culture. You mm. kind of get Americanized. You're like, you're in this American bubble. You don't really realize just how much different the rest of the world is, but just how much more genuine some of the people are, how caring some of the people are, and just how amazing it is to just travel. So for people, I know during COVID, you really can't do anything, but hopefully one day, sooner rather than later, we'll be able to live a life again and i can't encourage anyone to just step out of their comfort zone and travel and that's something that mm -hmm. again you talk about this podcast only you would be able to do something like that only you would be able to travel what was it 37 countries not quite 37 i'm at i'm at not 34 I'm, I'm, I'm pause at 34 man this <laughs> this year this year man put me on pause but hopefully soon but yeah that that, that was awesome back I mean. and forth about just the life lessons and the different relationships that you met and just, it's, it's incredible. That's, it's bigger than basketball. For sure. Yeah, man, that, that was one, that's always one of my top three trips ever. And I've been to a lot of places, but you know, the Western wall, the dead sea, the, the middle of the desert watching obviously basketball games too. So that was awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so let's, we talked a lot of basketball. Let's transition into coaching. So yep. I want to talk about before you even get to coaching the mindset you had during that, during that last year after that last season of being a pro and and you know that summer when you weren't sure where where you were going to play next because you you obviously were planning on going back to israel and playing playing another year w what was your mindset like and how difficult was it for you to say hey you know this might be the end of my playing career in, and 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 like how was it how difficult was it for you to do that to hang them up and, and take that next step to whatever it is you're going to do next no it was hard because Halfway through my third season, I actually changed teams midway through the year. And going through that transition period of leaving one team that I was on and then signing with a Pola Fula, that ended up being my fifth coach that I played for in three years. It was a lot. Little did I know that my time in Afula, even though I was only there for three months, we had an unbelievable team. They completely redid the roster in a short period of time because they were threatening to be relegated down to the third division. Because we were when we were in Afula, we played in the second division, and they're a very historic program that had a lot of success at one point playing in the top division. And they did not want to get relegated, so they completely flipped their whole roster, flipped the coaching staff, basically brought on a brand new team halfway through the year, and we were loaded. We had Jeff Allen, who you're aware of, that played at Virginia Tech and probably spent more so than 10 years overseas. We had Karanda Chills, who ended up winning a championship with Maccabi Hyphen in next year. We had Alex, Ro Alex Rosenberg from Columbia, who was like me and is American Israeli, who was a phenomenal player as a stretch four who could just shoot the lights out of it. We had some young Israelis that were really, really good. And if that team we had throughout the whole season, if we started with that team from day one, I'm convinced we probably would have won a championship. We would have been going to the first division and my career probably would have been a little bit different. But that was also the best that I played because I come to the realization halfway through that third season, I was like, you know what? 
like as much as I love being overseas and living this lifestyle, I'm ready for the next phase of my life. And I knew that I wanted to get into coaching. I wasn't sure where exactly it was going to be. But when I came home, I got the call from Kevin Hamilton, someone that I used to play for, who was the head coach at NYT at the time, to be an assistant on his staff and be close to home. And it was just too good of an offer to turn down, knowing that this is what I wanted to do for the long term. As great as it was playing overseas professionally, I knew like, all right, like this is what I'm worth. This is what I'm going to make as great of a life as this is. I wanted to make sure that moving down the line, I didn't want to be 35 years old and not know what I was going to do next. So that's why I went into coaching at first. And I didn't know right away how much I was going to fall in love with it. That grind, the passion, just, I miss college basketball a lot, but I didn't realize how much I missed it until I got back into it. For sure. And then, so, so then you, you know, you accepted that role, you're on staff with Kevin um, at division two NYIT and then something happened towards the end of the year. And all of a sudden you find yourself head coach of, of, of this team, you know, walk me through that. What was it, what, what was it like, you know, like leading that team as a head coach? And I don't know, I'm pretty sure you were the, if, if not the youngest, one of the youngest head coaches in the entire country. Yeah, at that time, I, I was the youngest for it was the, yeah. whatever that means. I was the youngest, but no, that was crazy. We didn't have the year that we expected to have. I didn't join the staff officially until the beginning of August, and some things happened that were out of our control that players that weren't eligible, didn't do what they needed to do academically, whatever the case you want to make. But we still should have had a better season than we had. Two games left in the season, he uh, stepped down and – at 25 years old, here I am, not even a full year into coaching. I'm, I'm a head coach for the final two games. We win our last game, and then the athletic director in the whole department tell me that they're going to have a national search. But while they're doing that, we want you overseeing everything and kind of running the day-to-day operations. And one thing that I spoke to you about going through that whole transition process is that at this point, I have a really good relationship with the players. They understand what I'm about. They knew my vision and they really trusted me and they wanted me to be their head coach, but I wasn't going to get out of work. And I made sure that they knew that they, every day that I still had the opportunity to run that program was going to be another day where they were going to have to feel very uncomfortable, not giving me the job because I've proven in every way that I could possibly take that I wasn't sure enough and ready for that responsibility, that opportunity. It wasn't just, Oh, like I have a great opportunity to be a head coach. It was the fact that I already had such a relationship with the players, the school, the area, the location, there was a lot more into it. And when we were at the final four in Minnesota, I remember we were getting ready for my interview that I was having that following week that day before we're sitting in the hotel, the whole day, just talking about talking points and getting everything Printing ready. Out the resume, the putting organized out, putting the book together. That was great. <laughs> so you were a huge part of just as an agent, just getting me ready for that moment and making sure I was prepared as possible to have as successful as an interview as I needed. And nothing could fake uh, relationships and just genuine respect that people have for one another. And that was a big part of why I was able to have the opportunity to get the job. We were doing some really good things. We were going some really good places. It was, uh, it was really rewarding having that opportunity. And I just kind of ran with it. Yeah. I mean, I think again, you know, right time, right place, but also the fact that you were prepared, 
right? You know, like you were thrown into the mix, that's for sure, because not even 12 months earlier, you were a professional basketball player, right? And then, you know, then you find yourself leading this team. And then, you know, this, this, this last season, you guys did an amazing job and started off a little slow. And then you, you got it back together and made that nice run at the end. And then, and then, you know, just completely hit a crazy obstacle in the way when this thing called COVID came and, and kind of disrupted everything. And then, you know, you got that call. I mean, well, at this point, it was only a few months ago, right? Um, yeah, August even. 20th. <laughs> there you go. I, I can imagine that that date is is uh, is uh, right at the top of your your head, and unfortunately, it'll be there for a while. But what what was that call like, and 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 how did that? Or I guess for people listening, what happened on that call? Yeah, no, it was it was definitely quite an obstacle. Talking before, even before that, talking about being a professional basketball player twelve months before having an opportunity to be the head coach at New York Tech. One thing that I had an advantage of is that I was able to live out a dream, do something that every college basketball player eventually wants to do whether it's playing in the NBA, playing in the EuroLeague, but every college basketball player wants, wants to be to a professional paid. basketball player, wants to get paid wants to, get paid to, do, to do, do what they love. I had the opportunity to do that for three years, so I was able to share my experiences and kind of show what it took to have the opportunity to live out that kind of a dream. And that is something that I'll forever be grateful for and everything like that. But August 20th, yeah, it was just a regular day. What I was doing this summer that I'm doing a lot more now is I'm the player develop, uh, the director of player development for Level Up out in Long Island, and I work with a lot of the youth kids from third, fourth grade up until seventh, eighth grade. I don't deal with the high school programs. Obviously, I wasn't even allowed to because of my responsibilities at New York Tech, and I was training at one of my clients' houses and eating lunch with them after because I have a very good relationship with some of the kids that I train. And I got an email saying that I had to be on a Zoom call with the rest of the department at 1.30. Mind you, we were supposed to have a meeting at 3.30 talking about just a weekly Zoom meeting that we had every Thursday at that time about COVID, what we can do, what we can't do. Who knows what there was to talk about at that time during everything. Nobody knows anything with COVID right now. But yeah, basically everyone got on the Zoom call and they just discontinued the program. It was just a complete shock, just like that. Like everything you worked so hard for, for me just the two years I was at Tech but there was coaches there for 25 30 plus years players that spend their whole childhood and high school careers to put themselves in a position to be a college scholarship athlete and play at the highest level they could possibly get to that just gets stripped away from them so it wasn't just basketball it was every sport and it was definitely a really disruptive disturbing time and it was just just really unfortunate and hopefully other programs and other players and other coaches won't have to go through something that we went through yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, there's situations around the the, the world that are that, that are tough right now. You know, not non sports wise and just life wise, but that that's that's definitely not a not not a fun event to go through. But you know, obviously, I think as we talked about, it's everything happens for a reason, and you know, it's definitely an experience that you're going to learn from, and it's going to project you into the next head coaching role that you have somewhere, wherever that may be. I don't know if it's going to be a pro level, a college level, or wherever it's going to be. It's going to be it's going to be great when when you do get that, and uh, you know, that team's going to be very lucky. But, you know, outside of that, you know, kind of neg negative aspect of it, I want to talk about I want to talk about the coaching perspective like that, that you have. So like when you're recruiting players and, and you're looking to, to offer a player a scholarship, what do you what do you look for and kind of what's your philosophy on the type of player that you want to have in your program? First and foremost, looking for a player character over everything else. You look at their body language. You look at what kind of teammate they are. You ask the coach in the AAU program that they're playing for how coachable they are. You get to know their parents. You get to know their 
family. When you recruit someone, you're not just recruiting that player. You're recruiting their inner circle. You're recruiting basically their whole fraternity that they surround themselves with. So for a lot of aspiring kids that are hoping to get college scholarships, which are limited now with all the restrictions with COVID, you never know who's watching. You never know who coaches are calling about you because they want to make sure that you're going to be as well represented to the program as possible. At the Division II level, at every level that you could think of at the recruiting stage, there are a lot of guys that are just as talented as you. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do off the court, if you don't get the grades you need to get, if you're not a good student, if people don't vouch for you and speak very highly of you, if you don't have people skills, then that's something that's going to get crossed off the list right away. And then you look at kind of the way that we spoke about before about fit. What could you do to help our program win games? What do you do that we lack at the moment at that position? We look at things like that. Are you a really good shooter? Are you an energy guy? Are you someone that takes pride in being a leader? Are you someone that is a, just a workaholic that's going to bring people with you to get in the gym? And you're going to be the one that's encouraging some of the other guys in the program to be a gym rat like you and take it as serious as you are. There's a lot more than just being able to put the ball in a hoop and making a flashy pass or dunking on someone and your body language, your character, that's more important than anything else. And that's something that will take you a long way while getting recruited after you're recruited, when you're looking for a job, when you're hoping to really play one day overseas. I had one coach my second year that was talking about a player that he didn't sign because the guy would hold his hands on his knees every time there was a dead ball. Coach was looking at him, his head was down. He was looking at all those other things. He wasn't worried about the fact that the guy was really good, but character more than everything mm. else, that's the best thing I could advise some of these aspiring high school players and college guys that are hoping to play overseas at the next level because you never know, again, who's watching, who's talking about you and everything like that. Yeah, it's the, I mean, it's the same conversation that I have with guys too at the next level. I mean, maybe a little bit, a little bit different because it is, you know, it is the amateur versus pro thing, but it's like, you know, to some extent, there's always going to be the teams that want to give you a scholarship that you're, you're just the best. Like you, you are the very yep. best talented. And maybe if you have a couple things that are questionable outside of that, okay, maybe every once in a while, those guys will get their scholarship and those guys will get that contract. But for, for the most part, you know, the majority of people, that stuff matters. Right. So that's, that's, uh, it's definitely good to hear from, from the coach's perspective. And so what do you, what do you think, one one mistake is like is, is is are one of those things a mistake that young players make now trying to get a scholarship or is do you do you see um like what's a common mistake that you see young players make that that that, that are trying to get recruited uh one of the common mistakes that i've seen just this past year is kids trying to be too cool on social media sometimes okay. and that's just that's a big I, one Posting sorry to cut, you off. For, sorry to cut no, you off but good. i would say not just kids <laughs> grown men <laughs> grown adults that, that, that I'm recruiting or that I'm looking I've at. Seen professional I've seen okay, it. continue. No, nah, no, nah, you're good. It's true. Like everyone is a member of the media. Now you have an iPhone, you have the ability to tweet, you have the ability to record everything that you record is a press clipping and whether you like it or not, you post a story on your Instagram, everybody's going to see it. You post something on Snapchat, everyone's going to see it. You post one wrong thing and there can go, 18, 20 years of hard work down the drain, just like that. So be very careful about what you're posting on social media, what you're saying to other people. And don't worry about just being cool. I see that sometimes too. Like they're too worried about how many likes that they get on a certain video as opposed to just 
making the right play and doing the right things that are going to help you get to where you eventually want to get to. Keep it simple. Be true to yourself. And if you do that and you're mature and you're humble and you got to put yourself in a situation where a coach wants to coach you. And one thing that I loved about my recruiting class that I had coming into New York Tech is that we had five incoming guys that just got it. They were raised by great families. They played in great high school programs, great AAU programs. And I was really looking forward to, and my coaching staff was really looking forward to coaching the kids that we were able to recruit. And also another thing that I want to say before we go is that just because a Division three coach calls you and wants to talk to you about you as a player doesn't mean that they're not friends with that Division two coach. They're not friends with that Division one coach because all these coaches are friends with each other. So if you ignore school A, B, and C because you really want to go to school D, but school D doesn't call you, a good chance that school A, B, or C has a relationship with somebody at that school that you eventually want to get to. And if you have the reputation of not answering phone calls or being rude or being shortcoming, like whoever calls you, it's a privilege that a college calls you or an Absolutely. agent calls you to represent them to be a part of their program. And you got to really honor that. So whoever calls you, answer the call, be as genuine as possible, be as honest as possible, because they don't want to waste their times either. If you're not interested in their program, it's okay. Just tell them. And they might be able to be a resource to help you get to where you want to get to if you speak to them properly. Great, great insight, man. And 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 I had I had about two more questions, but you already answered them in in the conversation <laughs> you had. So um that that was uh that was a lot of uh, a lot of golden insight for whoever's listening. So uh, we covered a lot of topics here, man. This was a lot of fun. Right before we wrap up here, I do something called the Sports Business Lightning Round. So I just got Tell a bunch of questions I'm going to fire at you. <laughs> you got you to gotta just answer. First thing comes to your mind. Ready to roll? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Favorite color? Blue. Man, what is it? I'm gonna, I know it's supposed to be a lightning <laughs> round, but I think, I think 90% of people answer blue. Great color. All right, anyways, oh, man. here we go. We're, we're points, Bobcats, blue and gold, man. That's right. Most points you've ever scored in the game? Uh, 36 to Maccabee Games Championship against Israel. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? It's our generation, LeBron. Steve Michael's Nash. Michael's better, but LeBron. Okay. Steve Nash or Jason Kidd? Ooh, that's tough. Going with Steve Nash, though. Nice. Coolest city in the world you've been to? Tel Aviv. Nothing like Tel Aviv. What's something that you're really bad at? Dancing. <laughs> As you've seen. I can, I can attest to that one. I can attest to that one. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life? My mother, my father, and Kevin Tarku. Oh, too kind. Too kind. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Just that I'm genuine. What was your first ever job? Working as a basketball coach at a summer basketball camp when I was in high school. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? That's a tough one. That is a tough one. To, what would it be? Mm. To be a mind reader. If you could read people's minds, you could get all the answers that, you, that you're looking for. If you could be a mind reader, you can control a lot of things. You can control a lot of people. There you that, go. Would be, that would be a cool one to have. You put me on the spot with that one for sure. Two more. If you could trade jobs with anybody in the entire world for one week, who would it be? That's tough. Tom Thibodeau, I love to coach the Knicks. Ooh, Even though I have no interest in going the NBA route right now, 
I would, I would say know. none if I still had my job in tech, but right now, that would, that would be cool to be the head coach of the Knicks for a week. You never know. Nice, man. And last one, if you could turn back time and talk to 18-year-old Ev, what would you tell him? Stay humble, stay patient, stay the course. Just don't get overly excited or overly anxious when things aren't going your way and stick to yourself and stick to your beliefs and good things are going to happen. Love it. Love it, man. Well, all of our listeners were blessed with another amazing guest today. Hope they were taking notes. Um, you know, I appreciate our relationship, man. You already know that. And uh, I'm excited to get back in the gym with you at some point once this craziness is over. So appreciate you coming on today again. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, bro. Kev, you're awesome, man. Keep, uh, I keep looking forward to listening to every day of your podcast. Wake up to it every morning, man. Appreciate it, man. All right. We'll talk to you soon.